You're listening to the Pastor's Hat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dayton. And we're back. That's right. This is the Pastor's Hat Podcast, Season 2. We took a little break, and now we're back uh, with episodes. And I'm your host, Forrest Jones. And I am Zach Brown, the youth pastor here at First Baptist Church. And we have a special guest today. We have Hunter with us, and he preached last Sunday. And so we're going to let him break down his sermon and then uh, tell us a little more about what he's doing. Um, and we'll explore all that. So, Hunter, will you get us started? Just let us know kind of a recap of what you preached on Sunday. All right, guys. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, I'll uh, share a little bit about uh, the sermon that I preached and, and just give a little, maybe a little backstory with, uh, with that passage. But, um, but I preached on Romans chapter 11, uh, specifically verses 11 through 12. And really I was dealing with that main first section of, uh, of Romans 11, uh, trying, to, trying to show God's plan for the Jewish people in, uh, in the future. And so, uh, so anyway, a lot of my, just to give you a backstory, a lot of my, um, struggles with this and trying to learn this and study this. And the reason for preaching this is mainly just for me personally to figure out what I believe about God's plan for the Jewish people. So this was really a directed study for me, much more of a, more than a sermon. It was, it was much more focused on trying to just grab a hold of these issues myself um, because of uh, what God has called my family to with uh, working with the Jewish people. And so this has been something that I've needed to get my, my mind wrapped around for a while. And so it was a great opportunity to really study that. So the sermon really is just an outflow of personal study. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, so... Without going really deep into it, uh, the conclusion that I came to through studying Romans chapter 11 was uh, that God does have a plan for um, the Jewish people, for ethnic Israel in the future. And uh, uh, and it, yeah, so there's many details that are related to that, but that was the main point that I, I came came up with. And, and so after that, just tried to think through, okay, how could that apply? How does that apply to us? Um, as people uh, from the South, where there's not a large uh, ethnic group, does that mean that we, uh, the only application we can have is to go grab all the Left Behind series and read it and, uh, and be able to just digest that and put that into your life uh, as a whole? And uh, so probably not. But um, uh, I think one thing that we can pull from that is one, just having the uh, the hope that God is not going to give up on us and our relationship with him. And he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us, just as he's promised that with the Jewish people. And so we can have hope in that uh, promise. Uh, but I think also too, just as it was for the Roman church, is it's an opportunity to uh, to remember that God is not solely focused on us, that it is not uh, you know, just like them for us, it's not like God is focused on the the white community in uh, in the South in the Bible Belt, and we, we are God's people, um, or uh, or dare I say, uh, God's chosen nation. Um, you know, it, it is 
the fact that God has called us to have a love for other people, just as Paul was writing about the Jewish people. Uh, many times we are so absorbed with ourselves that we can forget about other people, other cultures. And, uh, and theoretically, we think we're loving other people. But um, when we really look around the people that are around us that are different than us, uh, or we look at our lives and we see that maybe we're not engaging with people that are different than us. Maybe that is the true test, um, is that we're not really putting our lives in the, uh, in the, in the focus of their lives. We're not putting our lives with their lives. We're not changing our lives for their lives. And so really in essence, we're, instead of us living a life like Jesus, that was, um, I did, uh, not come to be served, but to serve and give uh, my life as a ransom for many. Uh, we really, in essence, are living the other way. You know, we live as if we have we have come to be served. Uh, and so uh, just trying to think of how we can engage with the same heart that God has for other people. And so I think that's more of an application for us uh, with thinking about the other people groups that are around us. Uh, but, it, but again, for me personally, it was one thing that I needed to really get a good understanding of what of what God's word says about the Jewish people. And so there was a lot of really cool spinoffs that came from that. It wasn't just that, that God has a plan for the Jewish people. There were other things that came through that that I thought were really fascinating. Uh, one was the interrelationship between Jew and Gentile and what God is doing with that and uh, and what he's talking about in verse 12 and verse 15 of how he's using this lesser to greater argument of, uh, um, you know, if Israel's rejection meant... Um, uh, reconciliation for um, the Gentiles, then what will the full inclusion for the Jewish people mean? Uh, but life from the dead, and what does that mean? Uh, and so, so anyway, that was one of the spinoffs that I thought was really, really helpful, really engaging. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's in a roundabout way. That's uh, that's the gist of uh, my sermon. You know, listening to the sermon Sunday, and then also just hearing you now, this issue of the Jewish people. Um, while it seems rather simple on the surface, it's actually something that a lot of people kind of fall into certain camps about. Um, and, and there's a lot of strong emotions kind of tied up in that of, oh, you know, we're in this group or we're that group or, um, you know, but you kind of take this position of, it seemed like yours didn't really fit into either of those perfectly. Um, but you're, you're kind of saying there is a role for the Jewish people you know, God is speaking about the ethnic, you know, community of the Jews, but that we are also still God's people as well. Is that where, is that kind of where you were going? Um, yeah, well, you know, speaking of the different camps, um, many people, especially that come from the South and, and many people that hold to a, more of a premillennial uh, viewpoint, uh, they just assume that, um, that that's the only viewpoint that has a place for the Jewish people. And that's just not been true. Um, it's not true now, and it's not been true historically. Um, and many people that come from more of a, a reform background that hold to more of a covenant theology that doesn't, um, that doesn't see 
ethnic Israel as part of that plan in the future. Uh, many of them believe that, well, there's no place for believing in ethnic Israel as having a plan in the future. And that's not true. That's not true now. I mean, even with people that are have a non-millennial viewpoint or a post-millennial viewpoint, there's, there's lots of people that have a plan for the Jewish people or that they see that from the text. And that's a part of their, their theology. Um, or their eschatology. And so, uh, and, and that's not true now, and it's not true historically. That's been one of the things that's been really fun for me to do is to look historically and see what people have believed. And regardless of their specific millennial views, uh, they have still seen a plan for ethnic Israel and in, in, uh, in God's plan uh, for the future. And I, and I think the reason why you see that is because people, when they have their little systems of thought and they study those things, whether it's in seminary or whether it's in some book that they get, they'll look at it and they'll they'll have this plan and they pretty much regurgitate everything that's, that they read. But then when they're, when they're studying the text and they're going through uh, just an, an expositional sermon series in different books of the Bible and they're just reading about what what God says about the Jewish people, uh, I think that it does lead them to really grapple with the text and say, okay, I'm going to take the word for what it says, and I'm not just going to believe what somebody else has told me. And so I think that's what ends up happening is you have a lot of people that will come back to the text and look at the text for what it, for what it is. Um, but what I found real hope in was, you know, I didn't, I didn't naturally fit in to, uh, you know, a certain uh, perspective, certain millennial perspective. And so it was kind of frustrating for me. I was thinking, why do I see this? Why do I see this? And where, where are other people that maybe see the text the way I do? Where are they? And, uh, and then I started to read some of the things in history and some of, uh, some of the people through, throughout history and what they believed. And it was really encouraging for me to say, okay, uh, not that this is my, this is my foundation is the people that have believed in the past, but it is, it is helpful to see other people that have seen things the way you see it to where you don't feel like, okay, I'm, uh, I believe something that has uh, never been believed before. You know, I am a heretic, you know? So, uh, so that was, that was really helpful for me. And that, that may be, that, that may have been just as much fun of, of studying as it was studying for, uh, Romans 11 and looking what that text says. It was just as fun to study what the, um, what many people in history have believed and, uh, not only their love for the nations, but their love for the Jewish people and, uh, and how they arrived at that position and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, so for me, it was kind of the nerdy perspective. I guess when you're not a preacher and you don't preach on a regular basis, you really do have to find, and, and I do find enjoyment in just studying and seeing what things, uh, uh, what I learned through that. And, uh, yeah, so I was fortunate enough to get to, to preach the fruits of that, uh, study, but, Normally that doesn't happen, but anyway, yeah. So a couple things off that. First of all, so we can just make sure we're all clear. So when you're talking about, you know, post-millennialism, post-millennialism and, and all of those terms you were throwing out. So that's talking about the end times. So that's that's kind of what we think of as end times and Yes. Yes, I would say that's true. But also, I think there, what you find, depending on what millennial viewpoint you hold to, most of the time, really what you're doing is you're revealing a hermeneutic that you have of how you read the scripture. You're showing how you understand um, 
God's relationship with God's people through the covenants, um, specifically through what has happened in Christ. And so I would say more importantly than what you believe uh, about eschatology or what you believe about end times, uh, what do you believe about hermeneutics? How do you understand um, interpreting the text of scripture? How do you understand biblical theology? How how you see this um, understanding of redemption throughout uh, the, the narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation? How do you understand that? And usually the way we understand that is what results in our eschatology. It's almost kind of, it's a package deal. So um, so that's what was really the struggle with me as I was struggling through that and to be able to see people in history that that had similar understandings that was, it was encouraging to me to say, okay, okay. I, so not only do they believe this, but they also um, they also see this plan for the Jewish people. And so it was really, really exciting for me to, to see that. I know you mentioned in your sermon the other day, uh, going back to that idea of kind of seeing what people in the past believed. And also you mentioned some of them that wasn't just their beliefs, but the way they put it into action. Can you, uh, if, <laughs> to put you on the spot, can you remember some of those you mentioned of just kind of um, maybe key figures in the past and the way they interacted with the Jewish people and kind of their heart for the, the Jewish people that was, that came out of, uh, of this. Uh, I can, I'm just trying to, trying to recall a specific example. I remember you one, talked about the one that, um, and I can't think of the name now where we're talking about when they, he would give money to the Jewish people. Right. So, uh, Hudson Taylor. So Hudson Taylor would have probably, probably during the time that he went out, he would have probably come from more of a premillennial background. That was kind of the, the uh, view of that, of that time period. Um, but when he would go out, he, uh, he went to, uh, to China um, and, and was just a, an amazing advocate for, for Christ among the Chinese people. And, and so as he was out, I think he would come back at times and he would be in London and then and, and he would uh, go out. I'm sure it had a lot to do with raising support and things like that. But um, what he would do, and it, and it happened to where it was like an every, an annual thing, he would write a note and uh, and he would uh, drop off some money and the note to uh, a Jewish ministry in London and it would say uh, to the Jew first and it would be his basically the first first fruits of his uh, of his money that he had raised and uh, and the guy that was over the Jewish ministry at that time would write a note back and also to the Greek and he would send his is almost like a tithe uh, to um, uh, to Hudson Taylor and so it was such a cool example I believe of of what of what our engagement should be um, in our churches, to be honest with you. Um, I would really, I would really challenge, you know, I didn't bring this out, but I would really challenge churches to think in those terms, um, especially, uh, you know, for, for small churches in rural areas, especially and not in places where there is a, an ethnic, uh, there's a, not a Jewish population, uh, we can pray. And I think churches should be praying for the Jewish people. Um, but, I think there's a lot of people that just are not thinking about that and the opportunities that are there for them. I mean, uh, places like New York City. I mean, what an opportunity if you have a church plant that's there to not only be working among the people that are in your neighborhood, all the different people groups, but also think through, okay, how can we engage the Jewish people? Like trying to think in that way. 
Um, uh, so, so I think that's something that, that comes out of the scripture for me. Um, but another person that's really interesting, and this has been something that I've been fascinated with, uh, as I've done some study and so thinking about the Puritans, um, uh, especially us in, 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 uh, the U S we don't think much about uh, a lot of, a lot of key figures during, um, uh, European history or other parts of history around the world. But one that I studied among the Puritans was Oliver Cromwell. He was, um, he was, uh, I think the only non-royal that, uh, that ruled in, uh, in England, uh, throughout their, especially modern, uh, history, what we think is modern history. He was called the Lord Protector. And, uh, and he was around during the 1650s and he ruled for a period of time. I'm not sure, maybe a decade. Um, but, one of the things that he that he tried to accomplish, um, he was a part of the execution of Charles the first, and uh, and so he ruled after that. And one of the things that he wanted to do is he wanted to he wanted to readmit the Jewish people back into uh, into England because um, at the point of which one is it? Is it Edward? Edward uh, Longshanks, uh, you know, the Braveheart. Uh, that, that's how we might know the Braveheart uh, King. Uh, he had expelled all the Jewish people from England. And so many of them had to flee and move to move to other parts of Europe um, or be or be executed. And so many of them left. And, and so Oliver Cromwell wanted to readmit the Jewish people. And so there were several people that tried to advocate and different things that went on with that. And so they had a council. They met at White, uh, White Hall and uh, and had a council about this. And uh, he had theologians, he had uh, lawyers, he had businessmen all in there together trying to come up with what they might do. And uh, and in the end, you know, they, they ended up coming with kind of a moderate solution to it uh, where they would uh, admit them, but they would put them in, you know, some of the rougher areas, maybe wouldn't be as well as, you know, what they would want, some bad ports, things like that, that they might not want. Uh, and Cromwell was frustrated at this. He was like, you know, if he said, he said, if God has called, if God has called the Jewish people to, uh, to trust in their Messiah at some point in the future, then he has, he has given means for that to happen. It is the proclamation of the gospel. And how can that happen unless they live among a gospel-believing community? And so that was his point that he made is he wanted them to come so they could live among him. Now, now you'll read history about him and they'll, a lot of people will come up with all these things. So he was just financially motivated. It really was just kind of a, just this fake thing of him trying to use religion to get across his real purpose. But I, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, the history of Cromwell was, I mean, he was a man that really believed in his convictions. Um, and, uh, and so I believe that that's probably, that was probably his main intention with that. But I think what it shows is, again, he wasn't the only one. There's a lot of people that were really passionate about the Jewish people coming to faith. And so it was just kind of a cool point of history of reading that and being like, okay, uh, this is, this is a, this was a point that was really a serious conviction for them. And I think it's always important, like trying to, you take the practical understanding of that. I think it's always important to, um, to look at what other cultures believe 
about the Bible, about the gospel, and what other points in history believe about that, because it helps to reveal our own blind spots that we might have, um, that maybe we overlook. But when we look at other cultures and what they believe, we look at other points in history and what those people believed, it helps us to to really be challenged by our blind spots and also to see their blind spots as well. So so anyway, those would be two examples, Hudson Taylor and Oliver Cromwell, I think were have been interesting for me to study. Your comments about Cromwell make me think about, um, and you touched somewhat on this Sunday, but just kind of thinking through this as we're talking, the idea that not just the Jewish people, but just pretty much anyone that's not exactly like us. You know, we have a tendency to think, yeah, they need Jesus. You know, like, oh yeah, the, the they need to hear the name of Jesus and they need to be saved. But, you know, I mean, I don't really know that I want people who aren't like me, like around me. You know, like it, it, it's be better if I can just stay in my own little community where we all look the same and act the same and everything. And that idea of Cromwell saying like, if they need to hear the name of Jesus, what better way than to live in a community full of people who proclaim the gospel on a daily basis? And yet sometimes we get so afraid of, of things that are different that we don't, uh, we're not willing to look at that. And, and I think, honestly, if we look at history, the attitudes that people have towards the Jewish people tend to be a litmus test for how they feel about anyone who does not look like them or act like them. Um, and kind of however they view the Jewish people tends to be how they view all races or ethnic groups and, and can really kind of show what's under the surface in, in many ways. Well, you know, it's, I would say the first thing to say is that if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, and even if we're, if we look at the Bible for what it says, I mean, we're all racist. I mean, that's, that's what it says. I mean, we all are. I mean, we love, that's usually is the first thing that we say is like, well, I'm not a racist, you know, but, but we really, the Bible says that we all are. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the point of the cross. I mean, the cross and the barrier that was between Jew and Gentile. I mean, what he's trying to talk about there is there is this racist divide, not only, not only set up by, uh, the plan of God among the Jewish people, but also set up in our own hearts, a heart that we, we want to be divided uh, because going cross-culturally to do something, whether it's just going across the, the, the road to another neighborhood of people that are different than us, uh, it makes us feel awkward. It makes us feel uncomfortable. There is a mini culture shock that happens in our lives when we engage with people in that way. And so a lot of times we know that kind of subconsciously, but what we try to do is we try to soothe that over by whether maybe going on a week-long mission trip or uh, maybe th- throwing a, a, I always laugh about it, it's like going, throwing a gospel bomb on something, you know, like you you go in for a weekend and you do some, you know, day camp with, uh, with the kids there and you're like, oh, you know, we had the best time and you hug the kids and when you go and then you leave and, and you don't see them again <laughs> and you're like, that was it, that's all we get to do. Uh, but, but I think what that does is that just tries to soothe the conscience. But I think real engagement is making it a point of your life. Like I always, I always respected so much and it was always such a, con, um, I don't know the right word, but, uh, maybe, a uh, it might be kind of guilt, but I remember reading about, uh, John Piper and, and how he moved into some of the poor neighborhoods in, uh, 
uh, in, in Minnesota. And I remember, I remember thinking like, wow, like there, that's, that's tough. That's serious right there. I mean, because he he would have church members come up to him and say, I just, I don't know if I can do this. You know, like there's all these things that are going on around me. You know, I don't feel safe or, or, you know, my kids, like, I feel like they might be influenced in the wrong way. And there was all these things that came up and all these things they were saying, it's like, Gospel ministry is messy. It's not easy. You, at following Christ is not a safe place to be. Like that's not that can't be at the forefront of your mind. Is like I, I just need to keep my family safe. That's what I'm called to be. Well, you're called to be in the will of God. You're not called to be safe. And and yet we we always keep fighting in that direction. Where we easily justify I'm called to be the man of the house and keep my family safe. But yet I've always been attracted to that, that aspect of gospel engagement, uh, in a, in a community. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. I mean, I have to fight my own struggles in my own heart, but you know, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not true. So, um, so that's the thing that I think that maybe hit, hits on what you're talking about is not just, you know, how you feel about the Jewish people is kind of a microcosm of how you feel about all people. And so I think thinking about it practically among small towns in places like Alabama, um, that should challenge us. Again, we don't, we don't need a cultural, um, revolution to tell us that we're supposed to love other cultures. We have the word of God that has been telling us that for millennium, you know? So, so I, I think that, that that's something that we need to take seriously, not just because the culture demands it, but because Christ demands it. Uh, and let me preface all this by saying, like I have genuinely enjoyed just kind of sitting under kind of your teaching on this both Sunday and in, in this meeting. Um, I am, you know, pretty much anybody listening to this knows I've like just started seminary. I'm just kind of getting into starting to unpack some of these, some of these ideas and, and, and all of this stuff. And so hearing kind of the dialogue between you two talking about this has been, has been great personally and spiritually for me. Um, this, the idea that you mentioned um, kind of briefly is something that we've talked about in our youth. We recently went through um, a study that JD Greer put out about understanding the gospel and the role that it plays in all of our everyday life. And he made a really cool distinction that I had never really thought about before that I feel you, you kind of, you two have kind of hit on a little bit. He said that, that there's a big difference between a multicolored church and a multicultural church. Like that, that oftentimes, even when we, we say these things of, you know, we want to be multicultural, we want to be reaching other people. Well, what we really mean is if, if there's this Venn diagram and there's us and there's them and there's that little bit of overlap where they can be not like us, but enough like us that we want them to be here. Um, but but like you mentioned with, with Cromwell, like the idea of, but if we really want to reach people, we need to be around people. People who need to be reached with the gospel need to be around people who have been reached with the gospel. And I think that's one of the barriers that we have a hard time with um, here, not necessarily just in our church, but in our area and other churches I've been around, like kind of attracts like, right? And so it's really easy for us to gravitate towards people who are just like us and completely avoid people who are different. 
um, even if we're not necessarily looking just at like Jewish people, if we were to kind of take a step back and apply this a little bit more broad to any kind of different people around us, what are some, some things that you being a person who has been in the context that we are in, where most of our listeners are in, and also kind of a more worldly context that you've seen a lot of things, what do you think are some some kind of practical steps that we could be taking both as a church and maybe as individual members of the church to be making that step forward and trying to reach out to the community of people who around us who are different than us? Again, balancing that way of not necessarily embracing like another religion, for instance, to the point of sacrificing on our own convictions and, and adopting other types of beliefs, but also not trying to just, for lack of a better word, whitewash what they believe. But what, what are some ways that you think we as individual people and as a church collectively can be kind of making that step and bridging that, that gap and walking through that door to start that process of loving on people and bringing that unity into, you know, these different people groups around us? Um, the, the first thing I would say is, you know, to go back to the quote you talked about with uh, J.D. Greer, uh, I would say that, you know, everything that was, that was said was great. I, I would just think through, don't be so concerned with what the church looks like mm-hmm. as much as you're concerned as what the church is doing throughout the week, you know, because I mean, there's a, there, I can't tell you how many people I've tried to share the gospel with that never came to faith. I mean, how many people I've spent time with, especially in this context, and that never came to faith, never came to church, never anything, but yet God blessed the, the effort. He blessed the fact that I was going and doing this and inviting people into my home that were different than me and and were going into their home and spending time with them, God just would send people. And he might not send the people I would I'd, I would expect or the people that I would like the church to look like, but yet God does his own work. You know, it's his, it's his glory. You know, we, uh, what does it say in um, 2 Corinthians 4? You know, we uh, have renounced um, uh, disgraceful and underhanded ways. You know, like that's not going to be our focus. I mean, our hope is in the glory of God to do his work. And so, so anyway, I would just kind of challenge that as saying, um, focus on what you're doing during the week, not necessarily what the church looks like. I mean, it might be something helpful to your mind, your people, because it's the most visible. And it's what we think of the most is how many people we got sitting in there on uh, Sunday morning, you know, I mean, that kind of thing that we think about, but the most important thing is what we are doing during the week. And so thinking of practical steps of what to do, um, you know, for people that uh, have been here a long time and already have relationships, just invite people that are different than you into your home. I mean, it's simple. Say, hey, come have supper with us. Come grill out. Come watch a football game together. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing things like that, asking the Lord to help you have courage to ask somebody that's different than you to do that, to step out of the box with that. Um, but maybe if that's not something you've ever done, maybe if you don't even really know anybody to even invite or ask or anything like that, then look for a person. Uh, we talk about it sometimes in um, missions work of looking for a person of peace when you go into a new context and finding a way to bridge that gap. I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of people in this church that have uh, relationships with people, whether it's through school or, or, uh, or whatever, whether it's work, different contexts. 
that can help introduce you to their network, their social network, and and being able to get involved uh, with things like that. Um, uh, and then use that as a way to to engage to to just go get lunch, you know, like let's let's uh, just invite somebody to go get lunch. Invite with the person that's helping you, the person of peace, you know. Invite them, uh, say, hey, why don't we get lunch with somebody? Just let them know what you're trying to do. Let them know that you you want to be faithful to what the Lord has called you to do. That you have a real desire for this, and um, you know, not your, not that you're seeing people as a project. It's not that you're just trying to learn how to love in a way that you've not loved before. I mean, it's. It's, I mean, it's no no different than pursuing somebody that you really that you really love, you know, whether it's a spouse, you know, that you're you're wanting to spend time with. I mean, you you've got to get to know them, you've got to spend time with them, and so you're intentional with that. But yet, you don't think about that person as a project. It's because the the goal is loving them for for their betterment, not for your betterment. It's not about you. It's, it's, you get joy from seeing them have joy. And so that's what the focus is. And so it's not that they're a project. Uh, but anyway, I mean, that would be practical steps that I would see as being, being helpful to move in that direction. If people were really serious about seeing something like that happen. uh, On that same thought, I had a pastor that one of his kind of frequent phrases was that, don't be surprised that lost people act lost and that sometimes that can be a barrier to us because it, you know, we can be trying to live life and minister to people that aren't believers and have never been in church and they don't live their lives in a way that's honoring Christ, which should not be a surprise because they're not Christ followers. Um, But sometimes we can be so turned off by that that we we tend to recoil away from them and think, oh, just, although, you know, and, and that kind of goes back to what you were mentioning earlier, Hunter, that idea of we can we can almost idolize safety too much. Um, you know, that idea of, well, if we go over there, we might be exposed to something or we might, um, you know, we might have to go to a part of town that's not as safe or whatever it is, that sometimes we can take a good thing like safety and we can, elevate it to the point that it actually becomes a barrier to us sharing our faith or, um, you know, really investing in people's lives. Because like you said, it's not about a project or anything. It's about creating these relationships and, you know, not dropping the gospel bomb. You know, Mm. we could literally fly over and drop pamphlets out the plane, but that's probably not the best way to do ministry. Um, But with that, we have to get over that idea of, we want everybody to act like us and do what we do. And, you know, well, if they, if they're nice, clean, well, you know, well-kept people, then we can share the gospel with them. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's not what Christ tells us all. And we, it's not what we see Jesus doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And going along with what, what he just said, I was reading in Matthew uh, recently and I was reading about when I think it was Jesus was going through Jericho and in Matthew, it talks about the two um, blind men that were screaming out to, to Jesus and, uh, and all the people around him were telling him, you know, shut up, be quiet, you know, guys, stop. You're, you're making this awkward. You know, we have a celebrity <laughs> coming through town, you know, you're making us look bad. You know, we don't want you to be the first ones they see, you know, like let's, let's keep it, keep it under wraps here. You know, y'all stay over there. We'll give you money after this is over. But, uh, but that's, they weren't content with that. And they kept screaming out his name and, and Jesus, Jesus stopped and he, he severed them to come near him and, and he, and he asked them what they wanted and they, they wanted to be able to see and, and he, and he healed them. 
And, and I was just, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, if we're really, we always put ourselves in the hero's position when we read the scriptures, but it's really the exact opposite. The scripture is always wanting you to be put in the <laughs> sinner's perspective. You know, you are just like the crowd. I am just like the crowd. I am screaming, guys, shut your mouth, you know, because Jesus, he thinks about you the same way I think about you. You know, he wants you to be quiet. He doesn't want the little children to come uh, to, to him because I don't want them to come to me. You know, I don't want you blind beggars uh, coming up to, to me. And so I know Jesus thinks that exact same way. And, and it was just kind of a time for me of just kind of confession of Lord. I, I feel, I feel that same way at times when somebody, somebody, you know, we're walking through the streets and there's somebody that's, that's uh, begging for money or sitting there and looks really rough, really dirty, obvious that they, have uh, probably have some problems with alcohol or or drugs or something like that, and you just you just feel that awkward, like ah, you know, like hey, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, we do the Christian thing as we walk by. It's like hey, God, God bless you. You know, as we walk, you know, on the other side of the sidewalk, as far away as we can get, just in case they kind of jump at us or something, and we can still get away. Uh, we, but I, I feel that same struggle, that same awkwardness of not loving people the way that I should. And I just, I hate that feeling. I hate that. I just, I always kind of recall from, from that, but, but it's just, it just shows, I mean, just how bad we need the love of Christ to just really fill us and to love people the way he loves people. And, uh, and yeah, we just, we, so many times we choose not to do that, but, but the hope is, is that he, he can transform us, you know, as we, as we are, uh, just enamored at his glory. It changes us for, uh, into his glory. So, yeah. To kind of pivot somewhat, um, you know, and talking about this idea of maybe doing things that aren't as safe and as comfortable. Um, <laughs> I always think of that quote, like that people say, like, there's no safer place than being in the right. the will of God, which is not true at all. Like right. if it depends on how you value your safety, if it's physical right. safety, that's probably not. So, you know, a few years ago, you kind of made a big change and you and your family stepped out and moved overseas. Um, I guess, tell us a little bit about that and how you um, kind of, how God led you to that and really some of kind of uh, the steps that, you know, you had to kind of step out in faith in that Right. So the first thing I would say is kind of maybe a misconception, at least for me, uh, is many people will ask you, like, when did you know that you are you are a pastor? When did you know that you are a missionary? Or when did you know that you are all these different things? And and the thing that I like to say is just, I mean, I still don't know what I am. It's 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 more about it's more about the fact that the Lord wanted me to do this. It's like each step, the Lord has guided me in that step. And so it's much more about faithfulness to the Lord than it is about doing uh, or being a certain person or uh, having some certain special title on me. It's much more about, okay, the Lord wants me here. I'm going to be here. The Lord wants me here. I'm going to be here. And and being willing to go no matter what direction or what he's called you to do or, or anything like that. So for me, it was it was not this... 
like, let's say I'm going through seminary and I know exactly what I want to do on the backside of that. It, it wasn't about that. It was just, this is where I want you to do, go do seminary right now. This is the church that I want you to go next. And, and so just trying to be faithful to that call. Uh, but actually while I was here, I really, um, I remember watching a video of a guy and uh, he had, uh, taken his family over to a context in Europe and, and, uh, and, and been about starting churches. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. And I remember just being struck by that. Like, wow, that is, it was so cool listening to him talk about it because it wasn't from this context of this over just burdening, uh, guilt and like God wrestled me and I wrestled back. And then finally I had to go. It was just like, I was listening to him talking. He's like, I always had this love for this place and these people. I loved, I even love watching movies about this place. I love reading history about it. I mean, I just loved it. And and, and he said, through that love and enjoyment, the Lord was gracious. And the Lord said, okay, I want you to go. And and I really gravitated towards that because that's kind of the way I was feeling. I was like, man, I would absolutely love to do that. And I could not get it off my mind. It was something that was just kind of stuck in my mind and I could not get it off. And I remember trying to include a lot of people in that process of helping me really to discern, is this what the Lord has called me to do? And I was, and I was struck at the end of that, I was struck by how many people would come up to me and say, you know, I can totally see that this is what you would do. And that was so encouraging for me because it felt like I wasn't just on my own. I wasn't alone in that process. Uh, and it's the same thing with uh, commissioning. You know, we always talk about when you're being commissioned to go out, uh, we think about that as just, well, that's just what you do. Traditionally, that's what we do. We have a commissioning service and they send out, you know, and we sing some some missionary song for them and it makes them feel really good. But really what commissioning is about is, is an, uh, an affirmation of the church that uh, that this person we agree with this person that this person is called to go do this. And so that should be a real encouragement for us that we're not alone in making this decision because many times, especially for younger uh, believers, we can be very subjective in our faith and everything is, how do I feel? I feel this, you know, or the Lord, I feel like he's doing this in my life or I feel like this uh, instead of, um, including more people in that process, helping them to observe what's going on in your life, reading the word, helping other people read the word with you as you're thinking through this and, and, and helping people to be involved in, okay, what the Lord is speaking to you about through the word and through times in prayer. Um, it's, we're a body of believers together. We don't, we're not individual uh, on our own, lone wolf, lone ranger type people. Uh, we are called to, to be the body together. And so we are called to be sent out together. I think it's always interesting that the apostle Paul was told very early on that he would take the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. Very early on, he was told that. Really, when he came to faith, he was told that. And, and what's fascinating is he never went until until the church commissioned him to go out, until they were praying together as a church and they all felt like, now it's time. It's time for us to send somebody out. Who's going to go for us? Paul's like, ding, 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 ding. You know, <laughs> I will go. And, 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 I, and that's the way that it should work. It should work in the context of a local church that are helping you to discern not only what God's calling you to do, but when God is calling you to do it. Um. Yeah, no, that, that, that's awesome. I, I guess kind of piggybacking off of Forrest's question, um, what are some some kind of things in your life, like some maybe some some skills or some habits that you have formed kind of in preparing for going out into ministry 
that you might encourage people? Because I know we've got some people, you know, in the church who have expressed that they kind of wrestle with that that call or that desire. I know we've got one youth in particular who has has expressed kind of early on feeling that call that they'll eventually end up on the mission field. I know we've got one of our college kids who's been wrestling with that for years. Um, what are some things that you would be telling them now to do just kind of skills to be to be fostering within themselves and some things that they could be doing now that maybe while they're not ready to go off, maybe they're not in a place in their life where they can start pursuing that. What are some things that you could be having them or would advise them to do now, almost kind of training to get them ready for should they ever have that calling and have that that opportunity come available that they could have been prepared for that now? What are some, some kind of skills you would advise? Uh, a couple of things. One, I would encourage them to be in a discipleship type relationship where they were um, not just, uh, not just, maybe reading the Bible, which that is uh, top of the list, but doing things together with somebody where they're building habits into their life because Satan does not want people to go. And so uh, the place where he's going to really attack is is in their habits and, and, and really try to mess with their minds, mess with their heart about things. And so during the low times, we've got to have those habits. We've got to have times where we are just accustomed to being in the word and being in prayer, having people pray with us. Um, and so those habits need to really be built up. So I would say that would be the top of the list, but the second and just close to it is be serving now. Uh, don't, don't just show up on a sunny morning and let that be, you know, I'm being faithful to what God's called me to be. No, serve the church. Do the things that nobody wants to do, you know, like like help put up chairs on a Sunday morning or help maybe go visit somebody or go uh, take a take a friend out to, to get ice cream or something or or just hang out, get to know people, share your testimony with people, um, get involved with the church now, do things in the church, allow people that are pastors and other lay leaders to observe you in serving and see, okay, yeah, I can tell this is a person that... Uh, uh, is ready. This person is serving. I can see God's call on their life. It's like the people that came up to me and said, I can see that this is what God called you to. Well, if I wasn't serving, how could they see? How could they give me that encouragement? How would that even be encouragement to me? They don't know me, but the fact that they do know me is an encouragement. I'm like, wow, yeah, they know who I am. They've seen me. They've seen what I've done. So I don't feel like I'm just taking my my family and, and just walking off a cliff here. Uh, I feel like they are observing the hand of the Lord on my life. And so those would be two things. Things I would really encourage. Great word. All right. Well, we need to wrap it up, but we do have to finish the show the way we do every every week. Zach, yes. if you will grab us a deep theological question. I will. Let's see. Make sure we get a good one. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. <laughs> Based on his face, I don't think we got a good one. <laughs> I... Uh, I think it's an easy question for me, but not necessarily for y'all. So would you rather live through a famine or live through the 10 plagues of Egypt? As an Egyptian? Uh, or? That's, that was exactly <laughs> the question I was about to ask. I'm, I'm assuming we're getting to live through them as Israelites or as Egyptians? <laughs> Does not say. Ooh. Mm. Uh. 
This is hard because as a chubby guy, as a I got, firstborn I, or a secondborn, yeah, I, mean, I, I've got some, <laughs> I got some body fat to get me through a famine. But uh, well, that was, that was my thing. I don't have a, a, a firstborn, and I'm not a firstborn. So I mean, you know, I I feel like I could kind of opt and, out of. That and you last like frogs one. and frogs and flies. You're okay with those? Oh yeah, totally. Right? No. Uh, ooh. Mm. This is this is harder. Um, I guess if I if I guess I if be, you're living through it, it says you lived through it, so that means you got past it. But the Israelites, the Israelites lived through it. It's true. I mean, it was going on around them, even though it wasn't. That's right. So I am going to go with our tie into the Jewish people. <laughs> 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 As a Jew, I want to live through the the ten plagues. Right. Yeah, there okay. he goes. Oh. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hunter, for being with us this week. We've really enjoyed uh, getting to hear your perspective, both on uh, missions and um, just the way God views all people. I think it's been great uh, for us, and it's a real good thing to hear, just a different perspective sometimes. Um, And I know we've really enjoyed having you around the last few months and uh, just your influence on us and everybody around here so we really enjoyed having you and thank you so much for being on the show and uh, next week we'll be back and we'll have uh, brother ben back with us yes all right see you next week